Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of The Gas Giants. Now, we're not sure about this, but we think it's probably episode 50. So, we decided that uh, the last couple of episodes we've done have also been a little bit heavy. They've been quite, uh, quite intense for us as well as our listeners. So, we thought we'd give all of us a night off tonight and uh, and do something a little bit more light-hearted. I don't know when they're listening to this. It could be in the morning. Yeah, it probably it's is in the It's a podcast. All uh, right, yeah. Okay, <laughs> whatever. If you're, uh, if you're listening to us uh, on whatever platform you're listening to us, welcome. Just know that uh, if you are listening to us on Substack, then you will find a page with all the show notes where you can follow along. Yes. Links to articles, links to other materials. Uh, you know, it you, might help you. Usually lots of YouTube videos that are quite good fun, and and you can leave comments there if you like. Yeah, we would love it if you would. Hmm. So, anyway, we haven't even mentioned the theme tonight. You so. haven't. No, I haven't. I'll do it now, shall I? Yes, uh, please. We'll <laughs> so Get on very, with it. Are you getting there now? (laughs) The very first show we did, uh, we talked about Miles Davis's In a Silent Way, and then we got so excited about it that we only talked about one side of the album. Um, We're not going to talk about the other side of the album. We are now going to talk about Miles. You know what? That's not true. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly, yeah, no, that's... Okay, get on with it. We're, we're going to talk about Miles Davis at the movies. Meaning? Uh, because Miles Davis took part in five different uh, movie projects throughout his life. As a musician. As a musician. Yeah. And actually once as an actor. Yes. And uh, they were all very, very different projects. Sure and he all brought, he, in each one, he brought his own special way of doing things to the project and added a great deal to them. They're all, uh, they're, they're very mixed bags. Some of them are, some of them are, are classics. Some of them are uh, perfectly watchable. Some of them are terrible. But in all cases, the, uh, the Miles contribution is... Uh, a huge part of the whole project. So we thought that this was worthy of a, of a look. You thought. I actually do like the idea a little bit, but it turns out this is such a weird list of movies when you put it together as movies. Mm-hmm. And it's also, even the soundtracks, it's a weird list of albums to put together. So yeah. I think it's probably the worst idea you've ever had for a podcast. But okay, we're going well, to have to make uh, it through somehow. For well, for new listeners, uh, I am kind of the the jazz fan, and Tom is something of a jazz skeptic. Uh, although that's it's, a great name for a band. It's uh, a bit. Tom more... Buster and the Jazz Skeptics all week at Fifty Second Street. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 Come it's on a... down. Drinks at half price from seven thirty onwards. It's a, it's a bit more. It's a bit more complicated than that, as you know. I have a I have a great love for jazz to a point, and then there's all this other jazz that I think's uh, risible. So I guess it's like everything, 90% of everything is, is crap. It's Sturgeon's Law, you know. Mm. Okay, well, so I suppose we should actually, uh, I'll just set out 
Uh, yeah, just run through the minute. Just run I'll through. Just run through the movies. Yeah. yeah. So, nineteen fifty-eight saw Miles uh, participate in Louis Malle's Lift to the Scaffold, Elevator uh, to the Gallows, and La Censure Pulish. Oh, whatever. I must speak French. Yeah. It's a ridiculous language. Um, nineteen seventy saw him take part in a documentary film uh, about Jack Johnson. Which? The, uh, what's the full title? I think it's just called Jack Johnson. It was a documentary titled Jack Johnson. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it's a documentary called Jack Johnson then. Okay, we'll just stay with that. And it's about the heavyweight boxer, Jack Johnson, who became heavyweight champion of the world. Then uh, nothing much happened until 1987 when Miles and uh, his bass player, Marcus Miller, collaborated on a movie called Siesta. Yeah. Only three years later, he was drawn into a project by... by uh, Dennis Hopper. Uh, yeah, but the, uh, but the guy do, actually organising the soundtrack was called Jack Nietzsche. Jack, yeah, very famous. And, he, um, and the movie was called The Hotspot. Mm-hmm. And then finally, very shortly before he died... Miles appeared uh, on the soundtrack and also as an actor in 1991's Australian film, Dingo. Perfect name for an Australian film. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, to begin at the beginning. Yeah, sure, why not? Uh, A a close-up on a very beautiful French actress, um... whispering things into a telephone which is how Louis Malle's lift to the scaffold begins were you about to play something what's going on here no 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 I'm leaning into your computer just just looking up we're looking up some notes here of course that opening shot that must have uh, for a lot of uh, for, for for a French audience that must have recalled uh, Jean Cocteau's uh, La Voix Humain, which takes place entirely with uh, with a female character speaking on the telephone, which uh, had, had come out a few years before and Poulon had made into an opera. Had, oh, would, had French audiences all seen that, you think? Uh, yeah, I think so. It had been quite a hit. Okay. Uh, there's a version of it, there's a spoken word version of it with Greta Garbo, mm-hmm. I think that would have been. Uh, I think that was intentional. Yeah. Anyway, the it's a it's a fifty-eight movie. It kind of looks like uh, an American noir mm. spy thriller, and it is a little bit about spies, isn't it? Yeah. There's. Uh, it's. Uh, it's funny when I watched it again. There's. Uh, there's a bit more politics in it than I there's, remembered. Yes, there is a good deal of politics in there. Yeah. And this is right between the the disaster in Indochina, as they called it there, uh-huh. and the beginning of um, the disaster in Algeria. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I don't want to do the plot of this mm. particularly. <laughs> I can't remember it anyway. No, well, it, yeah, it is quite complicated. But the the thing is, this is a this is a masterpiece. This movie, you think? Yeah, yeah, I do. It really. I've I've watched it several times, and uh, it's yeah for its time. I mean, it it we're, this is before Buddha Souffle, 
So it's before Breathless, mm-hmm. uh, which it obviously uh, influenced a great deal. Uh, at the same time, I mean, it's done on on absolutely no money at all. Yeah, uh, it's very. Uh, you know, I, I sat uh, watching this with Lottie, and uh, she kept uh, pointing out mistakes uh, in some of the some of the things. And I said, "Well, you know what? They probably didn't have the money to do that shot again." Yeah, you know, sort of little continuity things. They just, yeah, <laughs> who's going to notice? Come on, and the keep the, going. the director was a complete novice. Yes. Um, you know, when and they brought him in, he was very young, and the only thing he directed previously was Fish. Mm-hmm. Because he'd worked a little bit with Jacques Cousteau, I think, unsuccessfully. Ah, I didn't realize and, that. And, uh, and, and got brought into this movie somehow. I can't remember the story there. It was, a, it was, it was uh, explained a little bit in this um, cool interview that you ha- found with Jean Moreau, uh, with, yeah. uh, that you got up there, where she's... Um, Many many years later, I'm mean, decades later, mm. recalling the making of the movie because she was the the beautiful young lady who was at yeah. the center of it, and but but it was also it's extremely stylish. It's <laughs> this is a nice example of the thing you like so much retro futurism because it's got uh. a it's got a feeling of a an extremely modern version of France and Paris. Something yeah. more modern than even existed at the time, yes. Um, and uh, this this sort of feeling of of the country or the culture, the society uh, pushing rapidly forwards to a consumerism and out of mm. its colonial and wartime past, mm. uh, and and that being in itself a disorienting and actually alienating thing. Yeah, uh, you're thinking particularly of the uh, of the the motel where some of the action happens. Well, the motel is very very sort of modernist looking, but, isn't it? <laughs> but, but it's not just that. But the you know the fast cars, right? Yes, and the yeah, yeah. and the young man's the young man's fascination with machinery and just stuff. Um, mm. You know, he's a uh, and the two young characters also kind of having implausible. An implausible degree of just self-indulgence, mm. you know. Yeah, um, I think that's probably a political statement as well. Yeah, could be. Well, we should, uh, of course, we've we've talked about the film a lot, but we haven't talked here about Miles's involvement, which is very interesting. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Okay, Miles had been booked to do a tour of Europe. He uh, had, I don't know, managed to either fire or have quit most of his rhythm section. And I don't think he he got a tenor player at the time. So he was kind of with kind of without a band. But um, that was okay because he managed to pick up a whole load of really good uh, French musicians and Kenny Clark, who was now living in Paris. Uh, so so he had a band. Um, then his next problem, he only discovered when he arrived at Paris Airport and discovered that actually some of the dates that had been booked weren't going to happen because he'd had, some, had one or two things cancelled. But the promoter said, that's okay. You mean concert dates? Fan- yeah, concert yeah, okay. dates. Well, the promoter immediately said, it's all right, though. 
I've found this young guy who's making a movie and he wants you to do the soundtrack. So that would that would actually make up the financial shortfall that uh, that these missing gigs were were leaving him with. Yeah. Now here's this is something that then harks back to the last show that we did about improvisation, because um, the entire film was the entire music for the film was according. I mean, this is a legend, and it's probably true was recorded in one session of seven hours yeah, in I, the middle of the night. I've, I've heard that story, and, and I've seen some f- a film that was made about this. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't recently. It was some time ago. And there is some film of Miles and the band yeah. standing in front of a projection screen yeah. uh, recording the music as, as it goes along. Yeah. Well, that that is certainly how they did it. I, I don't know whether that particular piece of film is them actually recording it or whether that was set yeah. up for promotional uh, it's possible isn't it? yeah it, it, it's it's quite possible whether you would actually risk having a camera whirring away in one corner of the studio whilst you were trying to record music is another question no that that i uh, yeah a camera might it depends uh, it depends, but um, yes, they might have just done a little bit of uh, a little, had brought a camera in a for a little bit just to yeah exactly. during the session or at the end or whatever. Yes, but my point is that uh, that okay, so it, they they did it in seven hours. A lot of the, lot of the time reacting to what was on the screen. Yes, but um, Miles did, uh, according to a lot of eyewitness accounts, he did a lot of thinking about how to set it up before they actually did this kind of performance, this yes. recorded performance. Yes. So that's really interesting. So at that point he, he already had, so he was, he was using his skills as a band leader. Yeah. Now, if you think about what these musicians generally could do back then, they were, you know, they're pros. They, they can show up to all, all kinds of different gigs and play the right stuff. It's, mm. There's not that many different. I mean, if look, if you get into the uh, to the more creative areas of jazz, yes, uh, people are mm. specialists at this, and there's difficult parts there. But an awful lot of stuff. It's like you, you're playing in a band; it's no big deal. There's nobody's particularly mm. interested anyway. It's just entertainment, right? So the musicians know how to play all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. They can play different venues different kinds of audiences choose the uh choose the music according to the situation they're not always just just going out to be ego maniacs pro- uh, promoting themselves and their ideas you know what i mean mm. yeah uh they're just versatile adaptable musicians mm. they're ready to play all kinds of things so and i think that the, the miles is the kind of guy who could who could who could tell people what fairly quickly mm. what to play he always yeah. was right yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's like one of his greatest achievements, I think, is as is being a band leader. He's a good, good trumpet player for sure. Yeah, but I mean, if you think about the number of the number of times that Miles has managed to innovate, yeah, in jazz, yes. those yes. what he was what he was what he was doing successfully was using musicians, being a band mm-hmm. leader. You know, that's the yeah. that's the most amazing part of it to me. Yeah. 
So yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's very interesting to to analyze a lot of this because the um, a lot of the the tunes and the the movie's main theme and a lot of the sort of really atmospheric shots, particularly of Jean Moreau uh, wandering on her own around Paris. Yeah. Uh, the actual sort of um, backgrounds. There's maybe there's one chord for a long time, and then there's another chord. Yep. So there's there's not a lot going on, and it's all it's it's all sort of miles meandering through these things. the uh, the one The one fast sequence in this movie is actually the chord changes to Sweet Georgia Brown. Oh yeah, which uh, scene yeah. is that? Do you, do you remember? Oh god, I can't remember which one. Is it? I think it's when the kids steal the car. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, yeah. It's it's not the uh, for a long time I thought it was the uh, the bit where there's where there's the race between the two cars, but it's it, it isn't. Uh, yeah, that that maybe doesn't have any music. It's just loud. No, it cars. doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the bit where the where the kids run off with the car. But yeah, obviously they uh, they needed something, you know, fast for that. And uh, it's very interesting that because. Of course, you didn't realise that was the changes to Sweet George and Brown. You're okay. not the only one, because it's uh, somehow the whole thing is as far away from that as you can get. It's really not obvious unless somebody tells you. Well, there's melody and there's changes. There's lots of melodies that you can play over a particular set of chords. Yeah, true. You've got to be a well, proper. You've got to be a proper music nerd to care about the chords. Well, I, I find this interesting because it's uh, it's actually reaching back into uh, an older bebop bag of tricks because. Um, you know, you could go through most of Charlie Parker's Omni book and, you know, the changes are either I got rhythm or maybe it's the changes from one, the you know, the, the verse of one tune and then the, the changes of another tune as the bridge. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, like, um, I think Donna Lee is basically Indiana uh, with the changes of something else as the bridge, you know. So um, this was done at the time because they didn't want to pay the royalties on a whole load of standards. Okay. Coming up with the with the changes from a, from a tune that the other musicians would know quite well, and then putting them to a different use. That is that is very much out of the sort of previous generations kind of. Uh, bag of tricks yeah but, but you're talking uh, like i said you've got to be a proper music nerd to care about the changes yeah i suppose you do so well, move along okay there's uh, there's something interesting now i should have actually got this record here just give me a second lift of the scaffold originally came out i think in america on a 10 inch record because it's not all that long 
But this obviously is a 12-inch. It's a normal-sized LP. Uh, now you're being a vinyl side, nerd. Who cares? There's a point to this, because on the other side of this, so one side of this is just lift to the scaffold. The other side to this is is a soundtrack from the next year uh, to a film called Desperate, the, the Disappearing Women, I suppose that means. And it was by uh, Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. Mm-hmm. So they obviously thought, okay, this is um, this is uh, this is a good little learner. We can just knock one of these out. Um, but the thing is that all of the tunes they've all got different titles, but they are all bits and pieces of the of the normal Art Blakey's Jazz Messenger book. Mm-hmm. Without you know, they're quite short. There's no, there's no solos. You know, the uh, that's that's not quite as adventurous as what Miles was doing, which really was reacting to what was going on on screen. Yes, uh, and it's it, it's it's got a um, a musical style that sounds like the like the the look of the movie, mm. like an American movie. Right. It's yeah. I mean, obviously, it's got all this French stuff going on. And that's that, that I'm not trying to say it is. But it's got in terms of the, um, you know, the, the styles, the lighting, the, the drama, the shadows, the, um, oh. the the visual drama, I mean. Yeah. Uh, it's very stylish. I mean, you've, you've got you remember in the um, in, in the what do you call it? The trailers, you've got uh, um we got the young woman wandering around, looking through a cafe window yeah. at, the, at the pinball, and and then she crosses a road, and she's sort of like stepping between the cars, right? Yeah. And yeah. you know, this doesn't it remind you of uh, Days of Wine and Roses or whatever that movie was called about mm-hmm. alcoholics, um, and the sort of like the sucking um, feeling of alienation from this. Yeah, this whole thing, yeah. this machine. So it, it's got that look of of an old of a of a thirties uh, American movie, and yeah. it's got the sort of sound that you associate with like Philip Marlowe or whatever. You know, yeah. uh, uh, it, Miles is really summoning some old styles there. Yeah, at the same time, what it um, what's going on a lot of the time. Uh, during some of the, uh, you know, the best sort of non-action bits of the movie, uh, is this incredible interior monologue? Yeah, which is which is I think probably more French than than film noir. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, or French cinema, French cinema yeah, French from the fifties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which Did you know is that- confusing to me. Did you know, you know how does, here's the thought. How does this relate to Sartre and that, bu- that bunch? Because this is right in the middle of their reign of glory as the oh, intellectual, yeah. sort of like public intellectual leaders of France. Yeah, they all, they all knew Miles as well. Yeah. So he was, he was already in 58. He was already a, a highly celebrated uh, figure, right? Yes, yeah, he loved Paris because they loved yes. him, and and he was sort of like their mascot, and they, in the salons. Yeah, well, they treated him with respect as well. Yeah, but they also wanted his 
differentness to rub off on them. It's two way street. Yeah, but hold on. I mean, I think it was around about this time that he got hit by a policeman for standing in front of a club that he was playing at. Yes, in New York. So yeah, Yeah. in New York. So yeah, yeah. and then then you come to Paris and you're actually treated with respect. Obviously, you're going to like it. Yeah, they like it. No, I I, I don't. uh, It makes sense. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. Mm. Um, but you know it, it's it's still public life, and therefore it's you've got to assume that it's a it's it's a it's a sort of a, a process of image making, a process of everybody's using everybody else to get ahead. I assume so. I generally do. Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm trying. I think this is uh, doesn't this actually appear in one of the books that we're going to be discussing soon? At uh, the Existentialist Cafe, I seem to remember. Well, does Miles, does Miles Davis show up in there? I believe Miles Davis walks briefly through the pages of that okay. book. Yeah. So, no. listeners, you're going to have to <laughs> stick around with us. <laughs> For that one, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 when, I was, um, when I was thinking about this just, as, just before we started recording, I was just thinking about how this would have been Sort of like the time where you could where you could probably meet Camus, uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. if you show up at the right place, and uh, and he's going to be very happy to to wave a pipe yeah. at your face and and say something intelligent, yeah, and be photographed. Yeah. <laughs> they loved being photographed, didn't they? Yeah, well, but there's um, there's also this is certainly the end of this film. Uh, this has a sort of quite an existentialist ending in a way. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it sort of does and doesn't. I mean, the 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 ending of the movie is is all based around the um, the stupid murder, right? Mm. Um, that just it, it's a completely pointless, meaningless, apolitical murder, and mm. they go down for it because they did it. Mm. Um, I don't see that as as particularly relevant to the existentialists. Hmm. Um, no, it's more kind of uh, Jean Marot's uh, reaction to it all. Like Back when we started, you said, yeah, I think this is a masterpiece. And I'm thinking, a masterpiece by whom? Yeah, I find the movie a bit a bit hard to to make sense of today. I think it's sort of a a thing of its time, very much a thing from France, for France, for French audiences. Uh-huh. Um, and it's sort of interesting from that point of view, but uh, it's unconvincing to me today in terms of its dramatic presentation. I mean, for example, that, that German car driver. So, oh my God, it's just, uh, what, what, is the, what is this? What is that? It's, it, it's terrible acting. It's, uh, and what's it supposed to mean? Well, I mean, okay, fine. So I try to find some, uh, I try to sort of like search for what, I try to imagine, that's the word for it. I try to imagine what might have been the important relevance of this at the time. And I I can just guess. My guess is there's a meaninglessness to hmm. to this murder and to the, the young couple going down for it. And why did they do? Why was it done? Why did why did somebody get killed at all? It was, it was just stupid, right? Mm. It, it it it's not 
it's not a commitment to something. It's not a decision. I'm going to do this for any good reason yeah. or for any particularly evil reason. It's just contingency. It's just almost good. random. Well, right now, have you read Le Tranger? No. Right. Well, what happens in that? There's uh, the uh, don't ask the, me. The, well, uh, well, maybe you should. The guy, the guy shoots an arrow. I'll, I'll, I'll slap my wrists. <laughs> okay, well listen, uh Camus Camus the the stranger actually I think has a little bit in common with what's going on here. My point is that this is something that would have started off as a as a sort of uh, noirish pulpish uh novel a Something like something not quite as good as a book by Sebastian Japriso, who uh, did this kind of thing actually a little bit better. Uh, things like the ten thirty from to, to Marseille, or the girl in the car with the glasses and the gum, which are, are or trap for Cinderella. There's another one, which are which are wonderfully, wonderfully constructed uh, criminal novels. I mean, really like a Swiss watch. This is not quite on the same level as that, but uh, I'm talking about just the book, but sort of heading in that direction, in that trying to be part of that same conversation. And then in the making of this film, and particularly because of the Miles Davis soundtrack, it becomes something else and something a little bit beyond that. What does it become? Well, you described this as a, as a snapshot of a time. It's a snapshot of an emotional time. It's a snapshot of, of a particular set of preoccupations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can go A particular set of, yeah. And, and cinematic, so, and cinematic yes, preoccupations. Very, too. very cinematic, yeah. And this is why, of course, it's so seductive. Um, for you. Okay, yeah. But I think I'm not alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. French, uh, French, French film is 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 weird, man. And this is one okay. example of it. You know, we've got five movies to get through. We'd here, better get a plus, move on here, plus a yeah. whole bunch of, uh, of of little things. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't think um, some of the other movies are going to take us quite as long as that. Maybe not. Well, anyway, but the next one actually is uh, is a really good movie. It's my favourite of the bunch. Okay. It's my favourite of the bunch as a movie and as a soundtrack. Because uh, I will say right here and right now, I uh-huh. think Tribute to Jack Johnson is is John McLaughlin's best album. There you go. Yeah, okay. It's, 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 it's tremendous. Um, it's where he really plays out in a... Um, in a sort of biting way, but also in a uh, in a way where he's he's ready to be free with time and not just uh, and, and not just you know, shred. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was an, he turned into this uh, amazing shredder who's like like the best in the world for a while. Yeah, but he's not doing that on this album, and he's he's really biting. But he's also up against this amazing band that's provoking him all the time. Yeah, um, but he's not the only great soloist on the album. Miles no, plays no, well no, too. No, no. It's so it's one of my favorite albums of that era from Miles. And it was curious when I 
read this, uh, read up about it recently, just sort of like getting ready for this, that what was his, what was his record label at that time? Was it Columbia? Yeah, it, it, CBS. CBS. And they, and they, and they, they said, oh, you're like, this isn't, uh, as an album, this, we can't sell this to jazz people, so we don't know how to deal, deal with it. So they didn't do any marketing for it at all. No. And that's why it's not one of his well-known albums of the period. But uh, isn't that weird? Because, you know, uh, Bitches know. Brew is not a jazz album either, in my opinion. <laughs> no, but it is but it is the highest, it was for a long time anyway, the highest selling yeah. jazz album of all time. So they were happy to promote that, but not this. I don't know. It doesn't make any yeah. sense And then, of course, Miles finally left CBS definitively because they'd refused to have uh, anything to do with promoting Aura. No. And... Uh, or even releasing it, I think. Finally, after a lot of lot of bullying, he got them to release it. At which point, it won a Grammy. And Aura's tremendous album, but that was a much much Aura's later. A fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, the, what I'm what I'm saying is that this whole this whole process was, you know, this is part of a process that had started uh, a lot earlier. Anyway, the movie is surprisingly good. I was I was I was really kind of taken aback at how much I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I was thinking 1970s documentary that's mostly kind of done from, you know, photographs with the with that effect where you're sort of panning and zooming mm. across a photograph, and uh, mm. uh, but actually it's really good. Yeah, they managed to bring the 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 personality of Jack Johnson to it so effectively, and, and I mean yeah. he's he's not necessarily the guy kind of guy I, I would be a friend of but you end up admiring him so much oh yeah there's a there's apparently i haven't read it but there there is a, a an absolutely crazy autobiography really she wrote yeah <laughs> which is you know only half of it's true but yeah. you know. <laughs> but uh but you noticed of course that then this arcs back to the what i was saying at the beginning this this here here we come back to gas giants episode one this yeah. has parts of side one of yes. in a silent way and in it as well, uh, which yeah. is really cool. Apparently, there aren't any good quality um, versions of it available at the moment. Um, hmm. you know, I, the the one that we watched on YouTube is a pretty crummy sort of digitization from a VHS or something. Yeah, and, you yeah, know, yeah. it's it's good enough. It's still uh, it's still pretty awesome. But it would be nice to have a good quality copy of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and I think it's uh, certainly. Uh, I don't know if the the excerpts of the the actual films of Jack Johnson fighting um, have been around for for quite a while, and they've they've been quite prized amongst boxing fans. Yeah. yeah. And there's the uh, you know we we have to get around to the business of uh, of slowing them down to normal speed. And stuff like that. That can be done now, yeah. That can be done now very, very well, and often with quite astonishing results. Yeah. I and mean, Jack Johnson is a, is an absolutely legendary figure amongst fight fans. Um, there's not really anybody fought like him until Ali. All of this uh, heavyweights don't fight with the guard down, you know, until suddenly Ali turned up. Yeah, well, I don't know much about fighting, so 
Well, I I kind but of I mean, don't. There's I, a, but I'm, I do follow it. But there's a um, there's a, there's there is a strong um, I mean culturally as well in terms of the political significance. Ali's another huh. an, an obvious sort of comparison, isn't he? Um, oh yeah. What what impressed me at the end of it, not having known m- uh, much about Jack Johnson before I watched this doco, was he's somebody that managed to stick his sort of like middle finger in the face of everybody that hated him and live yeah. his life the way he wanted, which is yeah. a pretty extravagant and egotistical way to live, uh, which is obviously going to piss some people off, especially if you're black and you know, American at that period and winning. That caused him an awful lot of trouble, but he still got to the end, got through it all with all kinds of difficulties as well, and some of which were obviously pretty rough. Having accomplished so much, having traveled so many places, having met so many interesting people, yeah. and uh, and been himself all the way through, it's uh, sort of triumphant to be able to to live such a life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, yeah. Uh, for for those of you who want to explore the uh, the the similarities between um, between Johnson and Ali, there is. Uh, I've put a link to it on the Substack page. There is a wonderful book about uh, about Ali and Ali up to the second of the of the two Liston fights, basically. Mm. Uh, written by uh, David Remnick, hmm. it's called King of the World, and it um, it How doesn't old is that? just uh, ninety eight, I think. Oh, was before that? before Remnick disgraced himself, then. Uh, um, I've certainly, I you know, I keep owning copies of this book, and I end up giving them to people. Uh, I've cool. owned something like three copies of this book because uh, it's it's very very good. And it deals a lot with the. Um, I mean, it starts off with the first Liston fight, and then we go back through the entire history of boxing in America in the twentieth century, yeah. and the involvement with uh, with organised crime, and everything. It's so well done. And then then you eventually come up to the second Liston fight. The second Liston fight was well, was very very short, and. Ali claimed that the that he floored Liston with the phantom punch, which of course was the Jack Johnson trick. <laughs> well, it, it, we're talking about Miles Davis at the movies here. I'm sorry, yes. Isn't it really an extraordinarily weird soundtrack for a documentary film, though? Well, yeah, but Miles got hold of all of the. All, uh, loads of old boxing films. He spent a long time watching them and trying to get into the rhythms yeah. of, and of how he, they moved and, and how he, they fought. And you can hear it going from from triple from duple to triple time in the midst. So the, the the whole rhythm section is playing. You know, is playing a shuffle rhythm, and then he'll suddenly play twos on top of that and it's just the way that you would actually get in the middle of somebody else's rhythms like they're expecting the blows to come bang 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 and then you, you put them in at a different place to knock them off their off their sort of defensive reactions no he also he also uh, said that he he thought carefully in advance about how it needed to be rock rhythms this yeah. idea of this big 
big guy, heavyweight boxing, punch, 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 like a train coming at you all the time. Yeah. That's not jazz. That's rock. Yeah. You know? Yes, you know, it's very carefully put out. And what I'm, what I'm getting at is that when you watch the, uh, when you watch this, uh, this documentary, it's, uh, it, it, listen to it. It works. I think the soundtrack works oh, yeah. great with it, but it is yeah. very unusual because it's such a rip, rip roaring, hard, hard punch. I mean, it's a, it's an almost scary sounding music, the soundtrack, and there's a lot of it here, and it plays a big part of the film. That's yeah. very, very unusual. Movie, you know, documentaries aren't usually dramatizing things in that way. Uh, certainly not with with sort of really quite radical original music that's mm. not typically what documentaries do and yeah. know, I, I think it's great i think it's very successful yeah i'm i well, just whilst you were saying that i was trying to think see if i could come up with another another example of something like that and no not really <laughs> There's a, before I move on, there, it struck me that there's another character that, um, together with Johnson and Ali, that mm. sort of fits somehow in this historical period as, as, a, as a great hero, a great American hero, uh, Paul Robeson. Oh, He's yeah. not a fighter <laughs> at all, no. but also just one of those, one of those guys who, um, Who's ready to, ready to take on the fight, ready to sacrifice, and for, for what had to be done as far as he was concerned. Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay, now, before we go on, there's, uh, or actually, yeah, before we go on to the next film, there's a, another film which we should just mention it. Because also you said uh, that in the Jack Johnson movie, a bit of In a Silent Way comes in. Yeah, a couple of times, yeah. That also happens in a movie called Symbiopsychotaxiplasma. Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. And um, I don't think, honestly, we can say that Miles was involved in the soundtrack other than somebody put the record on. Right. Maybe somebody, you know, before the film got released, the uh, CBS insisted that he got given the credit for it or something like that. It does it does actually get advertised as as with a Miles Davis soundtrack, but I can't really see that they've done anything more than put a silent way on it a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah, I, so, I don't know anything about the movie. I I saw that you'd put it into the into the notes and uh have you watched it? I, I've watched a bit of it. I've worked out kind of what happens is that they um, they end. It's about a film crew in Central Park filming the same dialogue between um, different couples, like the, the couple, the different different couples of different ages and races have to repeat the same lines, and they they film this over and over again, and. Um, then the the director makes some sort of gnomic comments, and then then the the crew all have a meeting where they uh, where they're being filmed, 
and they discuss what is it we're actually doing here and they kind of ask themselves are we the movie yeah so it's like um recurrent self-reference like reference mm-hmm. uh, a movie within a movie within a movie it's, it's often mentioned in the same breath as F for fake. If you've ever seen that. That means nothing to me. Uh, Orson Welles. Oh, I'm supposed to know that. Oh, no. I'm not a movie buff. I have to, no. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Uh, so, Al- onwards. Yes. To siesta. Th- <laughs> <laughs> Why the big laugh? Well, because the thing was, right, I saw this movie when it came out. Yeah. Um, and I, I, th- I thought it was actually pretty good. Mm. And I was I was quite taken by its by its strangeness. And uh, it's it don't know if it's actually worn very well <laughs> as as we were in the 80s taken by strangeness yeah yeah it, it, it when we when i watched it i i I don't, I don't think i've seen it before uh when i watched it it was i was sort of struck by how it's like oh this is this is this is very very 1980s this is how they made movies then uh, with uh, you know lots of color and lots of sex uh, and and, and and if you're going to make it for European audiences, especially for uh, European film festival audiences, then it has to be confusing. Yes. So it, uh, for me, the, all that all that heavy color, um, the sex, and the uh, and just the intense focus on beautiful women all the time, it made me think: mm. this is an American trying to make an Almodovar movie. Yeah, you know or, I mean? or maybe even a Peter Greenaway movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's that colourful, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's, you know, it's actually um, it. It was, on the other hand, successful in that. Even I watched it together, and we sort of we kind of looked at each other at the end of it, and then the next day we actually talked about it quite a lot. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> uh, trying to trying to figure out so what could possibly it represent. Because it, it it has this this opening sequence. I don't know if we want to reveal it. I guess whatever. No, I think I, I think you should go and watch it. It's yeah. it's an entertaining evening. Yeah, no, it's 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 actually not that bad. But actually, the soundtrack is very good here. Um, yeah. Curiously, I'm not that keen on the soundtrack album. The mm. it's it's one of those ones that's got a such a heavy use of classically mid-80s sounding synthesizers. Yes. Yeah. And it sort of sounds naff that way. All this sort of like Yamaha yeah. DX7 stuff going on. That's right. And, it which dates it so much. Yeah. You know? And it so it, it's got, so that's a bit disappointing, but actually that doesn't bother me when I'm listening, when I'm watching mm. the movie. And in the, but the nice part about the soundtrack is from a compositional point of view, it's got this Sketches of Spain sound to it. That's exactly right? what I was going to say to you, you know? Sketches of Spain. And which was, which was a huge selling album back in the day and mm. was, you know, it's, you know, it, if any anybody who knows it has got it's got a real atmosphere to it it's really it's something and you know i've only just recently started listening to that album yeah 
I had, yeah, I, I'd never owned a copy of it. I really? kind of avoided it because, uh, well, you know, I know most of those pieces, uh, you know, in their original form. All of the the, the uh, concerto de la Juan Aranjuez, yes, and the uh, the all the Defia stuff, yeah, and um, and I'd never actually sat down and listened to it, and then Lottie gave me a copy of it for my birthday, mm -hmm. and uh, it's yeah, it's amazing. It's nice. It's very nice. It really is very very and, good. Uh, yeah. the, it's got the it's got some very well controlled playing from Miles, um, yeah. and. Yeah, it's it's very cool. It's very cool, and the it's 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 just lovely to have them very deliberately, uh, overtly come back to that on this album, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's great. Um, and 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 so yeah, Miles is is obviously kind of into it as well. You know, he's um, Marcus Miller here is the is, is the real composer, isn't he? He composed all yeah. this music, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But this is this is the thing with all of these projects, you know. Um, even as as we're as we're gonna carry on and, and get into the difference ones. I think Miles would like to have just phoned a performance in on some of these, but he, he can't do it. Yeah, maybe. He has to do it, yeah. He he had to actually play his parts in the studio with the film running. And he wanted Ellen Barkin sitting in front of him wearing a red dress. Yeah. I, uh, and that, that caused complete panic because they couldn't find the red dress. No, they, didn't, you know, they didn't have the red dress. Yeah. Uh, isn't that so weird? Because that was, that was one of the things in this, um, there's this really, really kind of hilarious conversation that you can find on YouTube mm. that you've put on the, on the Substack page. Oh, yeah, that's really um, funny. Uh, where four people... Uh, sort of lead act to yeah. So Jodie Foster is there, Ellen uh, Barkin is there, and the director and the editor are mm -hmm. all there, and they're having their reminiscences of all of this, <laughs> uh, which are pretty extraordinary. And, yeah. uh, and and some of the questions are, are ludicrous, uh, which <laughs> is funny in its own right. I like the one. What is it? Uh, so. I love how you managed to get the the correspondence between one scene and the next scene and they're completely different times and places and hmm. that flows so nicely from one to the next. I guess you just pick those up in the editing room. No, you have to shoot that. If you want that to work, you have to shoot those scenes like that so you can edit them together. <laughs> it's like a dumb question. Uh, uh, she got I, my dressing down for that. <laughs> some of my favourite moments were were when Jodie Foster admits to being drunk throughout the entire shoot. Yes. You can see it in the movie. <laughs> yeah, come see it. <laughs> but it's uh, it's actually like it's like method acting because she's. I think the character's supposed to be hammered all the time as well. Uh, maybe she didn't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> And then Ellen Barkin discovering that she was actually dead the whole time. Yes. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's like, I, it's, what? <laughs> it's, it's curious that at the beginning, because you, you get the impression that maybe she was just uh, she was just doing that for the audience for, at this film festival where they'd just seen mm. the screening of it. She was just pretending to be uh, surprised. Uh, I don't know. But it's, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good, though. It is the only way the movie makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, yeah, they, uh, coming back to, the, I mean, 
you know the uh, the the whole thing about having to have Ellen Barkin sitting sitting in the studio. Uh, you know that harks back to to the, the um, no, not that the, the, not the hospital escalator. Harks back to the the yeah escalator, Sorry, escalator. elevator. <laughs> yeah, oh, screwing this all up. Yes, so the elevator yes. to the gallows. Yes, elevator to the gallows. Where um, you know he uh, Miles uh, sort of kidded on with Jean Marot that it, that uh, she walked funny. And it was very difficult to play along with her because of how she walked. Siesta is definitely uh, worth a look. One, one thing about Siesta is it's got this incredible cast. And, yeah. no, and, and it's completely obscure now. Yeah. Right. And nobody knows this movie, but it's got this ridiculously top-notch cast. Isabella Rossellini, yeah. And so here's, here's it's my turn to ask this. Okay. The Alexei Sale character, uh-huh. is, is he the angel of death? That's what it says. Mm, says somewhere, but not in the cast yeah. of this movie. It doesn't make sense to me. He's not an angel. No, no, it doesn't. He's a taxi driver. Well... Yeah, maybe I don't know about the angel of death is is giving it a big build up, but you know the ferry boatman who rows you over the sticks, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that's 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 just a kind of transport, isn't it? That would make sense. <laughs> a little bit, I suppose. I think he's that comic relief, and then it becomes grotesque and really horrifying. <laughs> Yeah, it's a strange piece of casting. Uh, well, listen, Alexi's got his own podcast, and uh, he obviously listens to this one. <laughs> so maybe he'd like to enlighten us. Yes. You know? Yeah. Explain, please. Yeah. Is please, that the yeah, angel we're... of death, or, or just a comic taxi driver? <laughs> <laughs> You'd see Bolovsky. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's right because he 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 does at one stage play a taxi driver in the Young Ones, doesn't he? Yes, I think who so. ordered a taxi? I've come all the way from Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Okay, onwards. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I have to fess up here. This is another one of my big favourites. This is, uh, I suppose it's a kind of guilty pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose there is a big problem with this movie. Well, maybe you should t- name it. Just make it easier for people. The problem is it's, it's the hotspot. And it's from 1990. Dennis Hopper was uh, offered a chance to direct something. And uh, he had a script for the hotspot shoved at him. The Hotspot is based on a book by Charles Williams called uh, Hell Hath No Fury. Quite a lot of Charles Williams, who was a really good, hard-boiled sort of uh, author, um, maybe, you know, not reaching the poetic heights of Raymond Chandler, but, uh, but you know, somewhere up there. And um, he wrote really good sort of, uh, sort of pulpy thrillers. The Hotspot being... Uh, yeah, uh, like I say, originally called Hell Hath No Fury. He was uh, had a way with a snappy title as well. Uh, 
one of my favourites, which I discovered on the research, was called Mix Me a Redhead. But <laughs> no, that's good, yeah. <laughs> that's great, that, isn't uh, it? Okay. Anyway, back to the, back to the problem. Um, so Hopper was given this, um, this script and thought, okay, yes, good, I can make something out of this. And, uh, and took it back to uh, this guy who he did a lot of his writing with, and they picked apart at the script for a little bit until the other guy said, well, listen, there is actually a better script for this, uh, for this property than that. And apparently in 1961, somebody had written the script for Montgomery Clift, hmm. exactly on this story. And uh, after a lot of toing and froing, they got a hold of a copy of this script, looked at it and realised that, yes, this is a much better script. So they started with that and then hacked around with it, put in one or two changes. Now, um, do you remember uh, we were talking about in the in the years roundup? Uh, I was quite impressed by a film about alien abduction in a small town in the nineteen fifties. Yes, yeah, we, I yeah. saw it as well. So that, that's the thing. Now, if this film was going to get made today, that's how they would make it. They'd set the whole story back in the in the fifties. Uh, they'd probably shoot it in black and white, and they'd have lots of sort of period stuff to make it look like it was then. Quintessentialism. Yeah. Mm. Whereas here, this being um, the uh, the nineties, or or from an aesthetic no. point of view, probably the end of the eighties. Yeah. Uh, we've got a couple of old cars, which kind of look like they don't really belong in it then uh because uh maddox works at a at a uh, at a car showroom so he's selling new cars or newish cars you know mm. so already there's there's it's kind of like you know what's this thing doing here and you've got a lot of small town americana some of which makes sense almost in the end of the 1980s and some of it kind of really doesn't so it kind of has a funny feel to it the whole the whole movie it feels a little bit anachronistic in lots of lots of things i suppose yeah yeah right. yeah but um the soundtrack is so well done the soundtrack here is the other way around from in Siesta. The soundtrack is yeah. not enough to carry the film here, but it's a great album. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, this al this movie, I, I got bored halfway through and just put it off. It's just <laughs> nothing's happening all the way. I mean, there's a, few, there's a few things that happen, but there's such long stretches of atmospheric nothing happening. Oh, I just got bored. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I think it's um, I think it's a good sort of noirish thriller. I went out and saw this movie the minute it came out. Uh, I went and found uh, I was living in Paris at the time, and I found a theatre where it was playing and went and watched it on the big screen like you should. Uh, and uh, seeing it for the first time, I actually. Uh, was taken along by the story. I mean, I found some of the um, 
some of the overacting absolutely ludicrous. I think uh, Virginia Madsen's miscast. I think she should be a little bit older in this movie. Uh, as she is in the book, uh, the 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 book is actually very good. And there's there's moments when um, when the the script departs from the book and then suddenly comes back to the book, absolutely verbatim, which is kind of a bit weird if you if you know both. But um, so we should talk about the soundtrack. Yeah. So the soundtrack was uh, was made by uh, getting some blues guitarists together. I think Taj Mahal, yep. uh, John Lee Hooker. Yes, a lot else? of John Lee Hooker on it. Yeah. And somebody else. Who else? There's one or two other. Um, Ry Rogers, Tim Desmond. Tim Drummond, rather. Yeah. But the... So it's, it's, it's heavy on the blues, electric blues guitar. Um, yeah. And it's good, and so if you like those players, and imagine want to want to imagine what it would be like if Miles Davis played in a blues band with a, you know, a yeah. slide guitar, for example, then um, this is the album to 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 reach out for. Yeah. That's nice. Now I think they they all recorded their stuff, and then Miles came in and played over the top of it. Sounds plausible, doesn't it? Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I I really really enjoy this album. Yeah. So if we go through these so far, in terms of the soundtrack album, I'm not sure I actually listened to Elevator to the Gallows, Lift to the Scaffold, whatever, um, as an album. Yeah. But the music on the movie is very prominent. I mean, it's like a character in the movie. The Jack Johnson yes. album is is one that I've loved for years. Um, and it's just killer. Yeah, it is. As an album, it, really it's, it's, it integrates wonderfully with the movie, to my surprise, huh. because I only found the movie fairly recently when we decided we we're going to try this as a podcast. Yeah. Siesta, as a soundtrack, has its issues, even though there are yeah. some aspects of it I really like, I, I really enjoy. Uh, but in the movie, those those irritating factors aren't, Aren't aren't prominent, yeah. you know, because there's other stuff going on. Because there's a movie mm. going on. The hot spot for me is like that's that's a good album, yeah, and the movie less so. So we got a whole we got the whole gamut going on here of of, uh, of things, yeah. but we haven't finished yet. Yeah. But you saw, I mean, 1990. Uh, yeah, I mean, it does sound. Did you get a sense of maybe some of? Um, Summer Star People. No. No, Star People is a very odd, is a very odd Miles Davis album that I love. I bought it when it came out. Yeah. And um, it's got a, uh, it, it's got a, uh, no, a, much more of a, a jazz rock thing going on to it. Uh, and it's got those experimental okay. tricks that he has with playing keyboard while he plays trumpet. And it's got this extraordinary drum sound that everybody had to yeah. kind of figure out. <laughs> How did they do that, you know? Yeah. Um, no, it's not a blues album, I don't think. Okay, although there are a couple of very long, slow blues on it. Yeah, but not heavy on the, you know, uh, electric slide guitar blues, uh -huh. you know? That's, that's a... Uh. 
yeah, there's there's blues the form, and then there's blues the yeah. uh, the guitar style. You know, yeah. I mean, we also have to have to mention how um, how the trumpet sort of compliments and, and comments on a lot of John Lee Hooker's singing on, sure. the, on the soundtrack, it's, uh, which is really beautiful. We have left one more movie. <laughs> what do we, how right. do we, how do we deal with this? Well, I'm going to tell you. Okay. So you do not need to watch one frame of film of Dingo in which Miles Davis does not appear. Okay, the only interesting bits, the only good bits of this movie are when Miles is on screen. The rest of it is terrible. And even those it, bits are not really my favourite. <laughs> yeah, well, no, no, I, I actually... I, actually I know do you do. Like, no, I know you do. Yeah. But, um, you see, there's, 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 I refused to even watch this because I, I've listened to the album and I didn't like it. Uh, it's, okay. not, it's not a Miles album that I enjoy. Well, I have a, I have a solution here, in that I have actually prepared a uh, a summation of the plot. <laughs> I hope it's going to be very short. Here we go. Okay, a film in which Australian men talk about their feelings should be one of the shortest films ever made, yet this staggers on for over 90 minutes. John Anderson is a small boy when the aeroplane carrying trumpet star Billy Cross lands at Poona Flats. (laughs) For absolutely no reason. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We are never told why it's a TNT freight carrying plane. So it's this cargo plane. And they all, which is like, and they're all what are they, they all just in a crate? Out, <laughs> yes, they get out of the side of the airplane. Exactly, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, okay, but that makes exactly as much sense as what happens next. The Billy Cross All Stars playing an impromptu concert on the runway. All right, uh, one tune around the changes of milestones. Anderson exchanges a few words with Miles Cross, who gets back onto the plane telling the bemused child to look me up if you're ever in Paris. Fast forward 20 years, and John the Kid is now John Dingo Anderson, an outback dingo trapper (laughs) married with two kids. There's then a long middle section that I'm not going to get into as none of it makes sense or ultimately matters. Uh, Three-legged dingoes are the worst, says Dingo, (laughs) as he sets up traps to turn all dingoes into three-legged dingoes. They're too smart to get caught in traps, and they're too slow to go after anything except sheep. Presumably, this only makes sense because four-legged dingoes eat babies. (laughs) He has been practising the trumpet, though and saving his money to go to Paris. In the meantime, he's been playing Outback Square Dance Core, which is almost certainly a genre on Spotify right now. (laughs) Through a series of events that only make sense if you're under 12, John finally goes to Paris. He gets drunk, plays his trumpet in the street, and is arrested. His one phone call goes to Billy Cross, whose wife gets him out of jail. Of course she does, you know. Uh, Billy has Dingo's tape, but he hasn't played for ages. They go to a club where John gets up on stage and plays. Then, surprise, Billy joins in. 
Billy will record one of Dingo's tunes, which is probably called like the Dance of the Three-Legged Dingoes on his next album. Dingo goes home to a surprise birthday party. That is the movie. Yes, so that saves you a lot of trouble. Actually, a lot of yeah. pain and suffering. This movie is 100% cringe. Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely terrible. However, we have to say... Is it... Uh, the is moments... It, yeah. The moments when Miles is on and acting, you actually get a sense of the, of the charisma of the man. I mean, he's, uh, he, he's very, very plausible. And he treated this... I mean, this is absolute bullshit, but he treated it very seriously. You Okay, you're, I know the, uh, the, the soundtrack... You could, say the, you could say the same thing about his appearance in Miami Vice, though, couldn't you? Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely, 100%. Um, because, uh, okay, the soundtrack album, we've been talking a little bit about how some of the, some of these soundtrack albums had to do with, uh, with, with, with different, uh, sort of albums that he was making or different bands he, he had, stuff like that. This, uh, this actually reminds me in a weird way of an album like Miles Ahead. Mm-hmm where he'd got really, really great studio musicians who could, who could play everything absolutely spot on. And then he fitted his own thing through it. And if you listen to, uh, to the, the scene at the jam session in the club where, where Dingo plays a, a, a solo or two first and then Miles plays a couple of choruses, the Miles choruses are fantastic. And they, they're, they're really, they're instantly identifiable as Miles. They couldn't be anybody else. Fair enough. It's the, it's the band sound, the ba- not the band sound, but the, it's, it's, it's one of his bands that I'm not keen on. Yeah. That's the thing. Uh, it's a, it's an approach to, there's an approach to doing jazz that I'm not keen on, but that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Now, it, I, what I really need to know is, is this uh, movie anti-Dingo? Or is the character who who hates Dingoes and three-legged Dingoes the most, uh, is, 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 does he reform his attitudes towards Dingoes? We never really get to find out. I think the idea is that he, he, it's a kind of self-hatred mm. because he's called Dingo. Clue. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, as far as I'm concerned, dingoes are dogs. There's just no two yeah. ways about it. And uh, if you're anti-dingo, then you're anti-dog, and that's um, that's a mark against you. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got a dog all the way through this movie, so I I don't know. I think yeah. Hmm. Well. <sighs> Yeah, because I, just, I think this is that's maybe the message is that he is about self hatred because he actually is a dingo. He plays when he's not actually uh, catching them in traps. He plays a long time. He spends a long time playing the trumpet in the outback to the howls of the dingoes. So I, th- I think it's, hmm. and he is kind of outside of the, uh, the the whole sort of normal society. So yeah, I think he is he is actually a dingo. 
Probably if you're Australian. Are you listening to this and you're Australian? If so, please give us a clue. <laughs> yes, every any anybody Australian who's watched this movie and has anything to say about it, say something. Or, oh my know, goodness! I mean, or, or, or any dingoes, you know. It seems like a, a like a, a truly embarrassing pastiche of America uh, of Australian cultures. Anyway, from those tiny little snippets I saw. Yeah. Can we please quickly? quickly yes. move on to Miami Vice. Oh yes. <laughs> because here's here's the thing. And this is this is kind of amazing to me. I watched that snippet and I went So is that what Miami Vice is? I've never seen this TV show. Never, never. seen Miami Vice. Oh have, my god. I haven't I don't have a TV. It's it's one of those aspects of life. we had a TV for 6 months in what was it, 95, late 95, and also uh, sort of mid, it was about 92. And in both cases, kind of had to get rid of it because we were watching it all the time. It was just awful. Uh, no, but you, this so, was when we were kids. This is when, when we were teenagers. Right, but I don't think, uh, I, don't, I don't recall it at all. So is it really just a kind of bullshit police procedural as a setup? for lots of nearly nude women and, and beaches? Ah, oh, well, it was the 80s, you know. I to mean, say yes or no? Yes, yes, I think it was. So yeah. it's like like, a, like Baywatch is... Yeah, maybe, yeah. And, uh, yeah, lots of, um, lots of cars and boats yes. as well yeah i mean but i mean this this is the this uh you probably remember that thing in the 80s of wearing a linen jacket with folded up sleeves mm. which yeah. was uh, done no socks this this program invented that mm, okay Man might have invented it but it certainly invented it for us in the uk I guess. yeah well if i mean like it's not the ideal thing for trolling around in glasgow you know no. in, in the rain uh, <laughs> uh, i was looking at this i've never i've never seen the tv show before it's one of those weird things i live a very sheltered life with respect evidently to, with respect to popular <laughs> cultures i don't think i've ever seen an a, a, an episode of baywatch either people have just told me about it i guess what people talk about it what is it you know that's i don't know so well, weird. Um, of course, I think later on when they started running out of ideas, they they did actually get uh, celebrities on. Zappa was on uh, Miami Vice yeah. at one stage. Yeah, well, yeah I think you can you can find that. I on think the that. the YouTube ends with a couple of suggestions, and one of them was Phil Collins on Miami Vice. <laughs> oh God! Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah, he was a quiz master. Is it a crooked quit? I remember seeing that one. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, but I, I kind of wonder about this. So, so, cause I wonder if that was Don Johnson, because of course, Don Johnson's in the hotspot. Who, if what was Don Johnson? Right. Who got miles onto Miami Vice? Well, I, I don't know. I don't I understand mean, the relevance of Don Johnson to Miami Vice even. Well, all right. Uh, hold on. He was Crockett, wasn't he? Anyway, there we should that, probably... There's always two detectives. There's Crockett and Tubbs. And, uh, of course, you know, he was, uh, he was, the, he was the one with the, with the flash boat and the Ferrari. And, a detective. Uh, 
Yeah, yes. I, uh, complicated backstory. I, I actually I can't quite remember it. Anyway, so, it, it, this movie doesn't have Miles Davis' music in it, though, does it? No. So no, it, it doesn't, doesn't really fit. No, but, uh, well, it's Miles out the movies. I suppose it's TV and not mm. movies, but okay, yeah. <sighs> yeah. And then, um, then you've also got that tiny clip of him turning up in Scrooged. Yes. Yeah, well, which is um, sort of like a cool sort of setup in... Uh, uh, donate for the musicians. They're they need your they need money. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, we, it's just a just a, wee, a just a wee sort of dig, really. It's just you know to see how hip the audience is. Yeah. So we're through it. Yes, uh, and Dingo, <laughs> Dingo, not a movie or an album I like, but so we ended up in the wrong place. But uh, what have we got? If I look at your your little spread, you did a nice little combo for the for the graphic. That all looked nice. Um, that all looked nice in the podcast apps, or it might not. It depends. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, yeah, is the probably the the most uh, the most interesting of these movies for me because it's. Uh, it really does. It's from a from a style point of view, it's not dated well. But from a dramatic point of view, it is sort of interesting to try and figure it out. It's a puzzle, yeah. right? And 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 that in itself is 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 interesting. And it's kind of interesting how a movie with where everybody in it is like a an A list actor, everybody. Mm. Uh, how how that just isn't a known movie anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so that's curious. very true. That's um, very true. The, uh, I think... Spe- pegging it, uh, pegging it down in terms of a list of uh, enthusiasm for him, I'm going to go with Jack Johnson next because it's a, it's a really, uh, it's a really punchy uh-huh. documentary. It gets, it, it moves along very, very well. It's, um, it's yeah. exciting. Uh, the way they use the music in that movie is so unusual, but it's very effective. Yeah. It's funny. I'd, I'd always heard that story about uh, about how he threw the fight in Cuba, mm. but uh, but w- actually sitting down and watching the fight—it's not so which obvious. I'd never done. I, I yeah, I oof, he doesn't look like he's having it all his own way, frankly. No, well, uh, there maybe he knows how to throw a fight convincingly. You know, it's just hard uh, to say, isn't yeah. it? It's hard to say. The French one, the uh, elevator lift oh, to yeah. the gallows and or uh, scaffold. <laughs> uh, if Which you, incidentally was called frantic in the US. Uh, I'm going to leave that one alone now. The if you're if you like stylish, highly stylized in my I mean artificially mm. stylized French movies from the 50s. Otherwise, yeah. the soundtrack is great. Uh, it's a good album. Um, well, definitely, yeah, if you like if you like electric Miles Davis, and you haven't, if you're not a fan of the Jack Johnson album, then mm. just sort that out immediately. Mm. I think the Hotspot yeah, album is great. I would say the uh, the you know the lift lift to the scaffold um, that soundtrack album has sold briskly since it came out. I mean, you know, you can. I eventually picked up a second-hand copy of it, but you can, you know, you can go out today and buy yourself a copy of that album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, it's uh, and it's it's actually strong music. It's it's very seductive. It's mm. it's actually well recorded too. I mean, it sounds great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, hotspots. If you like uh, electric blues guitarists, um, and yeah. just uh, there's 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 just go and do it. There's no no hesitation. Yeah. I wasn't keen on the movie. I guess I got bored. Oh, what a drag. And Dingo, well, <laughs> if you like that kind of um, complicated jazz, then, yeah, I guess maybe the album. But apart from that, my goodness. No, my, my recommendation is to uh, get those. If you go on YouTube, you get those two scenes where Miles is actually in and playing and uh, watch those. That's that's enough. It's about ten minutes of music, but that's really all you need to watch. Now then, can you think of just a quick wrap up? Can you think of any other famous musicians who are principally mm. musicians for famous for being musicians who've had such a, a a big relationship with movies? Just off the top of your head, I can't. Mm. I was just uh, just a question that occurred to me. I'm not prepared uh. for it. That's, yeah, you, you're very good at throwing these ones at me. Um, Mingus appeared in in a certain amount of stuff, and uh, I know that Yusuf Latif wrote some movie scores. Of course, there are musicians. We're, we're, there are musicians we, who crossed over into score, uh, you know, into um, yeah. into writing. So, Michael Miller is one. Uh, yeah. he, he may, he don't, but, but not, it, it's a different kind of an, it's a different kind of an approach that, isn't it? If you're hired to go and write the score and you do it yeah. as, you know, as a thing for a movie. But I don't really know too many who did it like Miles did it. Who, yeah. Because they're, they're you know. all of, in all of these movies, his music is a main feature. Yeah. Right. It's, um. It's not. I mean, there are plenty of uh, plenty of well-known musicians who've been hired to go and compose for the movies, and you don't really recognize them as a performer, or or you don't really recognize yeah. their, you know, what you're familiar with from the albums. But here, you absolutely do in every one of them. Yeah. Uh, I suppose uh, honorable mention would have to be made of uh, Terence Blanchard, who has turned in a lot of, uh, I mean, he made a uh, one of the big jazz movies, which was Mold Better Blues, mm. uh, which is also a very, very good soundtrack album. And uh, I think went on to, uh, to produce quite a few soundtracks. So he'd be the only one I could think of. Mm. But um, it's just the sheer sort of weird eclecticness of of these uh, of all of these projects yeah it doesn't the fit together that, at all does it no it doesn't fit together at all but uh but miles took them all on board and did them with this with this absolute seriousness yeah and uh, and this this very great individuality and i think it's a uh, i i why i suggested doing this was because i thought it was a side of his career that is just kind of a footnote, but I think it's actually quite revealing. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, no, he took a thoughtful approach to all of them, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> 